Amen. Something about that song that kind of uh, brings us to Christmas, right? Something about that that kind of sets the tone for Christmas and what, what it is. And we've titled this, this series, and it's just going to be the next two weeks, you know, this, um, this every season has its song. And that's one of those songs. It's one of the songs of the season that we don't sing at any other time. That's not a song that we sing, you know, when we're sitting on the beach, you know, and, and relaxing. It's not a song that we sing, you know, at Easter time or whatever else. It's a Christmas. It's where it, it, it kind of falls into our, our uh, season of singing. But, in, you know, as we talk about seasons, you know, every season, everything of our life, we all we are made up of different types of seasons. There's different seasons that we're going to deal with and different seasons in our life that we face. Some of it's the season that maybe, you know, we're in a season right now where we have a, a three-year-old in the house. Do I need to say anything else? <laughs> Nothing else to be said. Here's a three-year-old. I'm putting my shoes on this morning, and he looks me in the eyes and, like, kind of over his eyes. I want to play ball, and wham, throws the ball right square in the lip. <laughs> it's like, that's the season I'm in right now of a three-year-old just throwing a ball just because he wants to play and doesn't matter where it goes. We're, we're playing ball, right? You know, there's some seasons where you guys may be walking through, maybe you're taking care of a parent uh, who may be ill. Maybe there's a season that you're taking care of, um, you know, other family members. Maybe there's seasons of, of a new career. I never thought I'd be walking through a, a season of a new career at, what, 36, 37 years old when I did that a few years back. Uh, I never thought I'd walk through that season, but there are seasons that we're going to face in life. It's just, it's just a part of it. And if we were look through the scripture and we look at Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, it says this, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a season for everything. There's a season for everything. Right now, it's allergy season for me. So if I stumble across a word or two here, just know that my head hurts so bad right now that I don't know what to do. It's that season where the times are changing, the shifting, and all sorts of things are going on. There is a season for everything. And this is, this is the rhythm of life that we're in. It's just a rhythm of life. We can't uh, look at it in certain ways. We can't try to, to distinguish it sometimes. But it's just the rhythm of life, the goods, the bads, the ups, the downs, the, the struggles, the, the highs, the lows. It's just the rhythm of life. I, uh, I was sitting last night actually looking through my message and uh, a little memory. I don't know if you guys have the memories that pop up on your phone. And it's like, it's going through your photo album on your phone. And it says, hey, look at what happened this year. And I was amazed, absolutely just amazed at how much happened in this past year, I, I saw a, you know, a home that, you know, my business put together that was just, it was the first one of its kind that we did. And then I saw, you know, my son's birthday. I saw, you know, a time at the beach. I saw, you know, pictures of a concert that we had went to. And I just, this, the ups and downs, the seasons, the rhythms of this past year and the rhythm of the life that we go through. And sometimes when we look at seasons, you know, we're going to look at them kind of, um, we kind of distinguish them good and bad. And if you look at the seasons of the earth, the traditional seasons, because right now it doesn't feel like almost winter, does it? South Mississippi, we don't have winter, is that what we said? We don't have that when it's almost 80 degrees in South Mississippi. But if we look at the traditional seasons, we look at spring. And spring represents a time of, of renewal. It represents a time of rebirth. It represents a time when that brown grass starts to turn green. 
when the leaves start to come back on the trees, you start to see those flowers bloom that you just kind of laid dormant throughout the wintertime. Summertime represents this good times. It represents a time that everything is, is grown, everything has come about that is going to come about. It is, is a good time. We're, we're celebrating that time. Uh, we have planted and our, our crops begin to grow. Now that we're time to harvest those crops, things are good and new things are happening. And fall starts to represent things of, tra of transition. We start to see the leaves fall and change colors. And then we see the winter months of dormancy where things are just seemingly just dead. And those seasons that we talk about in our traditional seasons of our, of our world, the earth that we live on, those seasons are kind of be represented in our lives as well, about things and seasons that we're dealing with in our own life. And we all, again, face these seasons. I was here a few weeks ago, and we talked through James chapter 2, and I said it's not the, it's not the if, it's the when. It's the when. When are these seasons going to happen? Sometimes these seasons go rapid fire, and we're just firing through them one one after another. Sometimes the season is a longer season. Sometimes they're quick. They're slow. It, it kind of changes. So these seasons are things that we're going to deal with. But what's important is, is for us to know how do we walk through these seasons in our life? How do we walk through these seasons? And I, obviously, I'm sitting in a, in a, in a chair today. And um, not just, you know, just standing behind a pulpit. And I, I want it to be, I want us to have this conversation of what, how do we go through these seasons in our life? How do, how do we deal with that? We're all doing it. We're, we're going through a season right now. We're going through, how are we dealing with these seasons? And how do we deal with that? You know, the, we talked about this song that we just sang. And the, the main theme of that song was what? Joy. Joy. We talk about that, and it's something that everyone in this room, I don't care what season you're in or what relationships you may have, all of us are in a place that ultimately we want to experience joy. We want to experience that. It's something that we long for, that we strive for, that we're going after. We want to experience joy. But where do we find joy in the seasons that we're in? If we're in a tough season of our life, and again, young, old, whatever, whatever situation, in those seasons... Where do we find our joy? Where do we find that joy? And if our joy is strictly tied to the season that we're in, then your joy is un very unstable. If your joy is strictly tied to when things are going well, there's enough money in the bank, my wife's relationship is great. If all of these things determine this, this good season, if that's what determines whether you have joy, then it's a very unstable life and it's something that is very fleeting and it'll be very very hard to find it's something that's extremely hard to find so to expect joy in a christmas season that we're in now solely based on being working together and having cookies together and drinking hot chocolate and sitting by the fake fire because you really didn't light a real fire you know all those things if that's what where we find our joy in this season then as well it's going to be very unstable it's going to be very hard for us to to continue with that. And it's also going to be hard if we only find our joy in that season there, what happens the other 11 months? What are we dealing with the, the other 11 months that actually create the joy in our life for the majority of the year? What, where is that happening? And so we, we typically understand joy and we tie joy to seasons and good seasons like the spring and summer that we're talking about today and kind of flowing in that part of it. Next week, they'll talk a little bit more about fall and winter. But when those good things are happening, we're happy. And in the good seasons, we're happy. But 
in those good times that we're talking about, kind of leaning into a little bit today, it is easy to have be tempted to draw into the joy of the world. And we have good seasons, and we have these good times that we're dealing with. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Money in the bank. Relationships are good. Kids are happy. Summertime, everything is going great. And we talk about those good seasons in our life. It is easy to draw onto the joys of the world. And that's kind of what we talk about in that song there, you know, the joy to the world. It's, it points us into two sections of joy that we're going to just talk about quickly today. Joy of the world or then, then joy to the world. And we're just going to kind of, again, express those two different types of joy. Because the joy of the world is rooted in what we would call vanity. Joy of, joy of this world is rooted simply in vanity. If you've heard me speak any time at all, you know I love definitions. Vanity is this, excessive pride in one's appearance or one's accomplishments. That's vanity. That is where the world will find its joy, and it's rooted in the things that we may have and what appearances and what, and what you may have, what you look like, and the accomplishments that you have. That's where the, joy, the, the world will tell you that your joy is. It's rooted in, look what I have. And look what I have accomplished. Vanity says that I am the source. And everything that I just said, there's one word that continues to pop up. I. I. Me, 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 me. Vanity stems around this thing saying that I am the source, that I can create my own joy in everything that I do. I can achieve enough to where I can have joy. I can gather enough things to where I can have joy. I can look a certain way and dress a certain way and have a certain appearance that other people will look at me this way and then I will have joy in my life because now I feel accepted or whatever the case might be. All these things go about I, that I can create joy in everything that I do. Vanity holds a place that it's a very materialistic point of view and it becomes a very selfish way of living. I know we're kind of almost feel like we're stepping off the joyful moment here for a thing. But I'm telling you, that's where people want to find their joy. That's where people all across the people, all over that you see, and, and we've all been guilty of it in some way, shape, or form at some point in time in our life, I'm sure. That we've been guilty of a place that we look at things very materialistic and very selfish, and we say, this is where I can find my joy. And it's not just something that, quote, unquote, rich people deal with. Vanity isn't just tied to rich people and people that have excess or people that have a lot of money. So don't shut me off if that's maybe you don't feel like you're one of those today. We've been in different places in our life that maybe that wasn't the case. But yet vanity was still something that uh, was maybe gripping us. The scriptures tell us in Ecclesiastes 5 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Saying we're not going to, if we love, you know, wealth and money, we're not going to be satisfied with those things. We're not going to be satisfied with the income that we make. We're not going to be satisfied with the wealth that we have. We're not going to be satisfied with those things. And, and the scriptures call that vanity. So the love of wealth is expressed essentially in four different ways. And this is what we'll look at here, where, what we talk about joy and this love of wealth. But number one, it looks at it like coveting. Looks like coveting. Coveting says, I want that. I want it. I see something over there. I want that. 
They what and what that looks like says I I want that so bad that that I feel that this will bring me joy. I want that boat so bad. Let me tell you. Oh, if I could only have that boat. We live on the coast. How many boaters we got in the house? I'm not picking on you. Don't like like he's back there. Like yeah, I don't know if I want to. No, so many people we look. We think that we have this one boat, or maybe we have this one car, or maybe if I have this lifestyle, or if I achieve this one thing, I want to be that. I want to be the boss of this so bad that that is going to bring me joy. That's that coveting. This is that scenario. It's not that wanting things are bad. Again, we gotta, we're going to walk this line here a little bit and so you can understand it. But it's not about wanting this something so bad. It's wanting that so bad to the point that you feel that this is going to bring you joy and that this is what's going to do, sustain you in life and this is what's going to bring you in life. You're coveting and I want this thing bad. I want it. Maybe there's envy. The love of wealth can look like envy and it's, that says that I am mad at you for having that. I'm mad at you for having that. We've all heard that. Why does that person have this? Why does that person have that? Why do they have this? They've got such this, and we get mad. Why does that? I'm mad at you for having that. And you know, want to know why you're mad? Because you think that brings them joy, and that's the joy we want. It's perceived joy in others. It's a joy that we perceive others may have because they have X, Y, and Z, and you want that. And now you're mad at them because that's what they have. Envy. Envy. So coveting, envy, lastly, not lastly, third, jealousy. Jealousy. The love of wealth looks like jealousy. Jealousy says, this is mine, and I'm scared that you're going to take it away. Most of the time you see jealousy when we talk about relationships. You know, hey, you, you can't go talk to that other person. This is mine. This is what, this is, brings me joy. You can't have that. You ain't going to take it. We see that kind of played out that way, but that's, you're protecting what brings you joy. Protecting what brings you joy. This brings me joy. This, this item, this thing, this person, this is what brings me joy in my life, and you will not touch it. You can't have it. There's nothing you can do about it. I don't want you here. Stay away. Jealousy. Lastly, greed. That's what everybody kind of leans to when they think the love of, of money or the love of wealth or something like We think about greed. All these things play into that same scenario. But greed says, I'm not sharing what I've got with anyone and I want more. This is mine. This is what brings me joy. This brings me joy. I'm not sharing it with you, and I want more of this that's bringing me joy. You see how joy kind of plays into that, that scenario of what we're looking at, that how the world perceives joy. This is how the world would look at joy to a place of that joy is rooted in the things that you have and the accomplishments in all the different scenarios that's going on. And whether it's, you know, I want that because that will bring me joy, whether it's I'm mad because I see that bringing them joy, whether it's I'm jealous because I don't want them to take what's bringing me joy, or I have found joy in these items and I will let nobody else have it and I want more of it. That's how the world views joy. And all of it is tied to things. What happens when those things are taken away? 
What happens when you lose those things? What happens when life takes that person away from you? All sorts of things can happen. And as we said earlier, in those seasons or whatever that's taking place, if it's all just tied to things and people and accomplishments and the looks and whatever else they can be, it becomes an unstable place for us to live. It becomes a place that is unstable and it's a place that we cannot be sustained and it's something that, that is just too fleeting. And it's something that I don't really want to put my life on. I don't really want to decide, I don't want the joy of my life to be based on whether I've got the truck or the car or the boat or the RV or that I went on five vacations this year or that I became the manager or whatever else. I don't, I don't want all those things to determine whether or not I have joy in my life. I don't want that. And that's what this world says. That's what this world says to us is that we have to have these things. We have to do these things. We have to meet this criteria. We have to look this way for us to have joy. And that's just not true. It's not true. It's okay to have. I want to be very clear. You're never going to hear us here say it's, it's not good to have. You know, we had a, a Christmas party, at our, or excuse me, a birthday party, our home the other day. And I just, you know, we have a nice house. And, and I was, I, I pulled up into my house and I saw everybody with all their kids. And that brought joy. And I looked at my wife and I, we talked about it later. I said, I'm so thankful that we have a place. Whether it's, it's not nice compared to a lot of people's houses, but it may be nicer than some. It, it was irrelevant to me at the point. It didn't matter to me what house we had. What mattered to me was that there were kids running around my house laughing and smiling, running around, playing toys, doing, throwing. I saw basketballs, soccer balls, everything going. I, and while there was chaos and there was a moment of you know, pulling, I can't use the analogy pulling my hair out. I'm sorry. I just can't. I don't have much, and it's just got to keep what I got. Yeah, there's something there. That's what I'm saying. I got to keep it. But there was something about that moment that brought joy. And so it's okay to have. It's okay to have things. It's, but what is your focus and what is the source? What is your focus and what's the source of that joy? The, script, the, the song that we sang says, Joy to the World. And this type of joy that we're talking about in that song and the type of joy that he's referring to is not joy that's determined by objects or achievements. It's determined by the fact that Jesus came and he's coming again. It's funny that we think about this song in a Christmas time. That song's not even a Christmas song. <laughs> it's not a Christmas song. It was written talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's funny that we sing it in that way because it, it correlates very clearly and very, very much the same. We're talking about the coming of the Lord and he came. So without the birth of Jesus Christ and without him coming and, and being born, we don't have it. But this song was ultimately written about the second coming. And we're talking about, and we, when the, the gentleman Isaac Watts wrote this song, he was always going to church, and he was always seeing them sing the psalms and sing those things way back when. And he would, he would hear them sing this, and it was just so monotonous. It was just so blah. And he was frustrated. He was frustrated about that, so he he. He, he said this very, you know, for him, very popular, or I guess, or famous, you know, quote. And it sounds a little bit funny in, in the, the wording, but let me read what he said. 
He said, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly, while the psalm is upon their lips, might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. He said what he saw was people that were, that were there and they lacked joy and they lacked emotion in what they were in, as they would sing these psalms and, and, and sing these words. And he, he struggled with it. So his father said, hey, if you're struggling with it, change it. And thus the song was written. He wrote a song that he talks about the joy to the world. And he began to write this song saying that, you know what, we want people to have joy. We want them to have the joy that they have because Jesus is coming. Here's what the song says. The song says, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. That's something to smile about. I'm looking here across. I see a couple smiles as those words come out. What about this one? No more let sins and sorrow grow. Hallelujah. No more let sins and sorrows glow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. On an earth that is cursed, and an earth that has so many wrongs and so much trouble and so much turmoil, he says, hey, we have come to make his blessings flow. That's joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. His love. Does that bring a smile? Does that start to bring a sense of joy to your life? See, the joy of the world says it's going to be rooted around all these things, but joy to the world is because of Christ. We rejoice because Christ came to save us, and he's coming again to complete his salvation by making all things new. He's coming again to complete that salvation. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. This week, I lost a very close friend of mine. She was a mom to me years ago when life was tough. At 26 years old, life dealt me a really funny season. And she was mom. I'm from North Carolina. I don't have any family here at that time. I, I didn't have anything. It was just me, and she was mom. And I thought about this as I was reading this scripture. She passed away Friday night, and I saw her Wednesday, and when I found out that she was not doing well. She had battled cancer for 27 years. 27 years since her first diagnosis of cancer. Four, five, six times, I think. I don't remember how many times it was. And for over the past two years, you know, in her 70s and whatever, it was just constant medication, constant chemos of different things. And I cried when I found out Tuesday afternoon that she was in hospice, and I cried, and I cried in my truck. And I sat and cried, and Wednesday I went to see her, and I cried. And I cried some more. I sat by her bed. I came to prayer Wednesday night, and I just cried. 
She was an amazing woman. Her and her husband were, were mom and dad, but here's what comes to me. He's coming again to complete his salvation by making all things new. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. He's prepared a place for us and invites us to join him. Mom is whole. Mom is whole. My wife and I both looked. We said, I'm just so happy for her. Because after 27 years, she gets to walk on streets of gold. And she said, you know what? Last week, about this time, she said, you know, I just want to dance. And she gets to dance. Her whole life of 27 years of, of all this stuff, you know what she always told me? She said, either way, whether this cancer takes me or whether I go on, I win either way. She walked in joy. She walked in a life of joy. She said, I win either way. Whether this takes me and takes me down a road that's hard, I win. Whether God calls me home, I win. She walked in a place of joy. And you know what? That joy wasn't talking about the circumstances. She battled. Man. But her joy was found that she knew Jesus Christ. Her joy was found in the hope of his return. Again, something that we long for. Something that when I spoke um, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the believers way back when. They longed for his coming. Even though he had just left, they longed for his coming. And when all things will be made complete. When there will be peace. When there will be order. Here's what R.C. Sproul says. The key to the Christian's joy is its source, which is the Lord which is the Lord. If Christ in me and I in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. It's not a sometimes experience. The Christian is always in the Lord and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is always a reason for joy. Always a reason for joy. Whether I have, whether I don't have, sick, not sick, well, whole, whatever the case may be, the, the Lord is always with the Christian and that is always a reason for joy. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Wow. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm sure we could talk about this forever and a day. We could go around this room and we could talk, tell of our, our testimonies of the things that God has done for us. And we could talk about the wonderful things that God has done and share with when we brought through rough times and share through all those things. But in all those moments in our lives, we can say that the source of our joy was Jesus Christ. The source of our joy is Jesus. The source of our joy is knowing that he's coming back. The source of our joy, every time we sing a song that says, you know what, this, this last one we sung, it said, um, you know, my sin's forgiven. He calls me his own. Joy wells up inside of me because there's so many times I was like, you know, condemnation's coming at my doorstep and said, Scott, you're not good enough. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're, you're trash. You're horrible. Look at what you keep doing. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not the way that works. He died that I might have life and more abundantly. He died that my sins may be washed. I have joy in that. 
Every time words like that pop up, I get there's a sense of joy that wells up inside of me because it's not about what I have or don't have or what, I, what's, what I'm going through or what season of life I'm in. Whether it's a good season, the springs and the summer, whether it's the dormant seasons and the transitioning seasons, no matter what season is in, my joy is found in Him. Our joy is found in Him, church.